Did you see him go by in the hall? He scuttled like. Who, man? The one they sent. Who's they? Oh, you know who? No, Jack, I don't. Come on, man. Lyndon Johnson. Castro, maybe. They sent somebody to finish me off. I think maybe it was Johnson himself. Real ugly. Real goddamn ugly. Hey, look, man. President Johnson's dead. Shit. That ain't gonna stop him. Episode 41 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to head over to the Facebook and like us at the Cult of Matt and Mark, or head over to our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to Amazon and pick up my novel, Nova Byzantium, out now for $2.99, courtesy of Mask Books. And show news, Mr. Hudson. We got some show news right now. Me? We're, no, we're doing it live. We're doing it oh, fucking live. Right. We are doing it. We're doing it in uh, a uh, well-appointed uh, and well-lit, amazingly enough, a converted garage. That's right. We're here in Studio One of the uh, Cult of Matt and Mark uh, Publishing Broadcasting Company. And uh, yeah, in my garage, Mark's uh, actually here in the flesh. We're not 20 miles away, so it's pretty exciting. And uh, we did get some viewer mail this week. Not well, kind of viewer mail. We got some, some very... Uh, uh, thoughtful, uh, I guess, uh, what would you say, fan mail, almost fan mail, from uh, our, our, our buddy Tom Hewitt, who always likes to write in and uh, give us his thoughts. And then a new, I don't know if it's a new listener, but somebody else uh, wrote in, Adam, and he wanted to know about our intro music, which is surprisingly... Uh, oh, Yeah. Yeah, he was wondering who did it, and I, was, I don't even know the guy's last name. Yeah, his name is, uh, he has a website called Dano Songs. Yeah. And we never actually even licensed it. It was a free license. Yeah, it was That open. I never actually went and got. Oh, we actually had to go, like, to You have him. to send him an email and say, yeah, we want to use this for nonprofit. So, actually, I went there uh, a couple of months ago going, well, maybe I'll just tie up this loose end. And I guess he doesn't offer this song any longer. So part of his, uh, so if he ever gives us a hard time, we'll have to switch our songs. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I'm making so much dirty money off of this podcast <laughs> anyway. It's kind of a uh, it's going to come around to bite us in the ass at some point. So <laughs> yeah, but Dan O'Songs has a lot of stuff. But it seems like he rotates his uh, okay his collection every once in a while. Now he has his he has the same license agreements for nonprofit use. You can write them and license it like that you fill out a little form and you oh, send it in okay. otherwise you can license it commercially as well did you write them did you get a hold of them or uh i, I never did i was going to back when okay. we first started and then when i noticed the song wasn't on there any longer i decided not to worry about it well i looked at the catalog like he has a ton of them like 70 some songs and yeah. i looked for what i thought was the one we used which is what like today's tomorrow or tomorrow's yeah, today or something yeah. like that and i didn't see it so he must yeah, have... it's not there any longer right I'll, I'll, one thing I pointed out <clears throat> is that the song is uh, the snippet we have for our intro is very non-representative of the song in general, as I recall. Um, 
Yeah, I think it gets a little more electro-y yeah. later in there. But, you know, like it kicks in right when our podcast and we pot it down. Right. We should play the whole thing at some point, maybe like for an anniversary show or something. I guess. I don't want to pick off, piss off Dano songs. No, yeah, he's, he probably has a bunch of lawyers just constantly. You know. Well, I'm sure with anybody who makes these things, um, like uh, there was an article, I think it was on Ars Technica a while ago about a guy who does like uh, fine insect photography. Okay. And he uses like macro lenses and gets these great shots. I think he does nature generally. And uh, he says he spends half his time dealing with copyright infringement. And not from just Joe Blow, hey, uh, this is Nancy's uh, crocheting website. Yeah. It's got a picture of a butterfly. His. This is like from companies using it in brochures, oh, really? on websites. I mean, for profit businesses that just straight up gank in him. There's he a- says it's, uh, he's thinking about leaving the business. He's so sick Simply of fighting because that it's shit. just it takes up so much of his time and it undercuts his ability to make money. So how come I wonder he isn't a part of like Getty Images, which will do? Uh, I guess they have sort of a stable of freelance photographers that they will uh, then uh, deal with all the licensing agreements and the payouts and stuff like that. So it's probably I would guess that. Maybe it's not that great of a deal, depending on your specialty. Okay, photography wise, right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I could I could see that being a problem. There's go- reverse Google image search now, mm-hmm. so you can find like I found like uh, where the cover of my novel came from. And oh, really? It, yeah, it's from uh, well, an image off Getty or something? No, it's a well, it's uh, kind of it's it's similar, but it's like um, art that anybody can purchase, sort of licensing agreements too that you can use for for-profit enterprises and oh, like see. shutterstock i think it's called or something. oh yeah that's a, that's the big getty uh competitor these days so anyway but yeah well that's kind of unfortunate but uh that we're not licensed you mean no that that individual isn't making any money uh off of the the, the imagery oh, well, i don't take. know how dano songs does i doubt he makes much money but you, certainly some of those could be used in corporate videos and whatnot yeah i mean people need that stuff and there's you know a limited segment of the population that can punch out some instrumental piece that's uh that's listenable right. and enjoyable right so uh anyway but uh yeah he can rest assured we're not making a dime off of any of our content we're cranking out so uh i think we're safe for now but uh anyway and then we got uh on on the itunes comments which i never ever look at except for i just happen to look at uh we um i think it was me specifically uh, complaining about the uh, white people of Seattle apparently didn't like our uh, uh, our self-hating white guy, uh, or at least my self-hating white guy, however that goes, uh, diatribe on uh, theater goers in, in Seattle. But, you know, it's because I, too, am an uptight liberal white guy that I can joke. So, well, I can't. I guess I can't quite remember your talking about other theater goers. I mean, being misbehaving pricks. No, 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 no. I was just kind of fucking with them. Like they were being like ultra polite and not wanting to, uh, you know, uh, bug me too badly about the seat that I that was sitting being vacant. Oh, I I remember that story. Yeah, trying Um, to get me to move a seat was really the crux of the matter. And mm -hmm. as opposed to like, hey, we want to sit there. Can you move down a seat? being the comment they were like uh conferencing for you know 15 to 20 seconds prior to mm-hmm. you know asking me politely in a him high kind of way 
And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's all right to comment on those aspects of society, especially if they're in your own like a uh, social group. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's always the general criticism being overly negative, and whether that's productive or not. I'm not sure exactly. What oh, he was just kind of complaint was he just uh, he said uh, he was annoyed that <clears throat> these two white guys were so critical of all the white people in the theater. Uh, the whites of Seattle and dumb white kids in the van as in the in the film that we we're reviewing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, I think it's a little bit of of culture for uh, middle class white people to be that way, and I think it's certain you certainly can criticize that that sort of uh, self depreciation, deprecation, uh, deprecation. Right. Well, so um, I, I guess you can criticize it. I, I, I thought it was a interesting little aside about social interactions in the Seattle area. Well, yeah, and I grew up here and I'm an uptight Seattleite. I'm I'm I'm, you know, I live in a homogenous community of of you know, yuppie white people in a uh, affluent part of town and I'm guilty of all the things that I make fun of as far as uh uh, behaviors and passive aggressiveness and, you know, being polite but not friendly, all that stuff that, that Seattle's known for. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it's in jest. Uh, I don't want to stir any sort of white-on-white hatred. That's, <laughs> That's so white of you. <laughs> That's right. So uh, getting into the movie this week, uh, our film is the 2007? Is it 2007? No, 2002. 2002. Wow, that long ago. Uh, Bubba Hotep. Uh, here is the plot rundown, uh, real, not so quick for Mark's sake, but uh, here we go. It seems that at the height of his popularity, Elvis had switched identities with a convincing double and upon the death of the substitute missed his chance to reclaim his former fame. Despite his anger at never having made a comeback, Elvis finds a new reason to live when Jack tips him off, Jack being uh, JFK played by Ozzie Davis in the film, tips him off to an evil mummy that is feasting on the souls of hapless nursing home inhabitants. Before long, the geriatric duo must muster the strength to fend off the malevolent soul sucker, lest they ultimately fall prey to the fearsome Bubba Hotep. And there you have it. So, high concept film. I think this is probably put under the auspices of high concept. Right, because you can imagine uh, the production guy pitching it to his studio going, okay, so Elvis and a black JFK have to fight an evil mummy from five millennia ago. Like, all right, I'm in. I'm up for it. Uh, yeah, it. and uh, I remember looking at the, I don't know if you watched the doc. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't get around to it. watching it. They talk about, I forgot how lurid the uh, movie is, especially surrounding uh, Elvis's penis. Oh, yeah. And the growth on it. And yeah. I guess that the uh, the original short story by Lansdale, the guy, I guess the guy who wrote the script, from it, it was uh, even in more excruciating detail about the condition of Elvis's penis. And exactly Did they discuss what, what actual uh, medical malady was wrong with Elvis's I, penis? I don't know, but I remember that um, uh, Bruce Campbell said after he read the script, he's going, I'd love to do this movie, but he was worried that they'd want to actually have the penis on screen. His penis on screen? Yeah, the, just because of the way the, the script described okay. it in such detail. But uh, I guess he talked to uh, uh, Coscarelli, and they said they weren't, weren't going to so, show the penis uh, itself. obviously not an STD, since he hadn't uh, he hadn't had an erection for the past three presidencies or two, pre- two, two elections. Two elections. But um, 
It might have. It might have been cancerous. It's tough to say. It's not really Leaking clear. Pus. Would that be that'd be more bed sorry, wouldn't it? No, I mean it depends on where the cancer is. I mean, once a tumor gets to a certain condition, it certainly infections are a possibility. Really? Penis so, cancer. I mean, tumors will erupt with if they're near oh, the surface terrible. of the skin without uh, really? treatment. Oh, oh yeah, gross. Oh, yeah, gross you don't really out. think about it. Uh, that, yeah, but they'll they grow to get. I mean, that's how they kill you. They get out of control. But they have a pus. It's not just like a well, if tissue. there's a secondary infection, but you would guess oh. if. Okay. You know, various barriers of the body were broken because of See, I just assumed tumors were um, like just kind of balls of flesh that your body was, you know, depending on where it's happening in 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 your body. is It's not like pustules. It's not like an infection. It's just sort of a... Well, infection is a secondary condition. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that scene, uh, he has something on his wiener. I don't... It just... Well, that's part, of, that's part of the overlying troubles for Elvis. I mean, in addition to his changing out uh, and leaving his life of fame and switching places um, with Sebastian Half, he uh, later on in his career as an impersonator of himself, he has a terrible hip injury. Yeah, right. He falls off stage. And some some serious injury and he ends up in a coma. And, um, and then by the time he comes out of it, he's, you know, he's, he's an invalid basically. Right. And, um, in addition to that, he's got a growth on his pecker. <laughs> right? You're talking about this so seriously. Yeah, yeah, right. And he's sitting there in a, a nursing home. That's one reason I really like this movie is you see so few films set in, in nursing, nursing homes. homes. That's very true. Oh, and it's such cocoon. a place where so many people end cocoon, up. Cocoon, oh, dude. I should cocoon. watch Cocoon. Yeah, the Steve Gutenberg classic, Cocoon. That's good. How about, um, wasn't there another one? Uh... Cocoon 2, the, the Reckoning. Is it, is, it all, is it all? Is it all? I'm thinking on Golden Pond. It has old people in. it. Yeah, but they're not in a nursing home. You only get. Uh, you only get um, uh, cocoon. I think, and it wasn't. It's in more like an assisted living home because it's, all, a, it's in a nursing home because they're all like fucking each other. Remember that? They all like fucking each yeah, other. Yeah, they get like uh, alien. Uh, they get some alien um, aphrodisiac going on. Like they're they're all. Are oh, you talking about cocoon? Not uh, Bubba Hotep. It's like, oh, when I'm is sorry. this fucking scene? In no, Bar-a-Hotep? no, you're talking about what movies had been said in a uh, nursing home, and uh-huh. I threw out Cocoon. And they were getting all, like, rejuvenated from the alien juju. And their libido came back. Yeah, and they were all, like, getting it on. Mm-hmm. But that actually uh, isn't that, you know, people like to, uh, I guess, make the comment that old people's libidos crash. They do. Then there was some article that came out that like STDs were rampant in like nursing homes and assisted. I've heard I've heard of that too. Yeah, not everybody, so but generally grody, they man. decrease. It's like a, like lemon party shit going on. That's just uh, I, I don't like to picture it. Well, I think you got to be there. <laughs> all right. Yeah. It's like Golden Girls. Oh, that used to gross me out. That show when they're all talking about like Blanche you, you, getting you, it you on. Take B. Arthur and just throw her down on a bed and just just wreck her. Just just grab her by the mm-hmm. Adam's apple. Break that hip. Just, just, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought B. How Arthur about was uh, a man. White? What's her name? Betty White. Betty White. Mm-hmm. Betty White. I think was probably the most attractive in mm-hmm. her day. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a kid, she seemed like the. My grandparents made me watch uh, Golden Girls when I would visit them. Like it would be, you know, it was that era, the eighties and stuff. And my grandparents would be like, oh, it's, you, you, you know, you won't get the jokes because it's like. It's rather risque at times. Yeah, you won't get the jokes. But I got the jokes. Mm-hmm. 
They you just, didn't like them. I, they just weren't funny. So, um, I you know I don't. I mean, I guess it's sort of a young person's position in the sense. I can I can I feel like I have a sense for what it would be to be elderly. So it doesn't feel so foreign to me the idea of being in a nursing home, getting it on, getting all. Well, I mean that oh, okay. in general, just all life right. in general. Yeah, nursing, nursing plus, home. Plus, I've seen it a fair amount. So, um. so yeah, this is interesting. You get uh, kind of the uh, notice the scene with his uh, roommate, remember, mm-hmm. and he yeah. dies. Yeah, and then his like hot, sexy granddaughter, somebody's in there. Like his daughter, up. Callie, comes by. Yeah, yeah. and sort of the. Uh, Sad, I kind of what would it be almost derision for like a life that uh, uh, well, you know, it's interesting if you want to. I have a quote from that, okay, time, which I think is is uh, is very uh, poignant. Oh, fuck you, <laughs> Shit. get older, can't even cuss someone, have it bother them. Everything you do is either worthless or sadly amusing. So that happens right after that. We're He's talking to Callie, right. and then the nurse comes in, and then there's an extended flashback about how he's Elvis. He's really Elvis, and he comes back out of it, and they're looking at him, telling the story, and, and then they, they start giggling to themselves like this crazy old man. Oh, yeah. And then okay. he goes, he, then he says that, and he goes, fuck you, and they laugh. Right. And he goes, oh, you know, people just don't take me seriously any longer. And he comments before that about how she doesn't mind flashing her panties to him. Because he is completely non-threatening, he's, right? There's no way he's even considered a sexual object, right? And I think that's, I think that's, I think those are really poignant observations about what it is to be an elderly is it, person is in the world. Like dehumanize, there's like a dehumanizing element with society that takes old people, and like maybe it's just sort of a sad dysfunction of our society. I mean, what what is it that that we get? You know, you get like. Mickey Rooney style elder abuse going on where there's just sort of was Mickey Rooney abused? Yeah, yeah he was totally abused. Uh, I can look it up. But, oh, uh, I didn't know that. I mean, no, he would do I like PSAs it's... about it and shit because uh, yeah, his kids took total advantage of him. You know, so I think it's a, I think it's a terrible aspect of existence tied to our mortality, and I'm not sure if there's anything that can really be done about it other than fight against it. From a societal standpoint, I mean, we've we've made great strides to a certain extent and also some setbacks. You know, I think societally, if we talk from the U.S. standpoint, I think the breakdown of the extended family has hurt elderly people yeah, quite right, a bit. Right. I think the addition of uh, the New Deal elements like Medicare and Medicaid have really helped the elderly. But those have been eroded ever since their introduction. The truth is that I think historically elderly people they were thrown away when they were no longer useful, except for maybe a small number of them. Well, it would be like the old Indian, uh, you know, story of them going out into the woods and just to die and leave the tribe to move on, that kind of thing. Well, I think that's true. I mean, there's a terrible cost society bears if it really wants to take care of its elders, who really, for the most part, have no, from a strictly Ayn Rand standpoint, have no nothing to contribute to society. All they are are beggars. Well, they do in like maybe traditional society, like uh, tribal societies, where they are sort of the database. Well, I mean, there's there's there is a idea about why. Well, that comes to the idea. Of, I mean, we've talked about this before. The idea of why does menopause exist? And this is something I don't know if it's been debunked 
or not. Or why, just, why, why women just don't die like spawn, well, spawned out salmon well, or something. Well, they talk about menopause as a, a way to uh, conserve life and allow women to live longer so they can be um, cultural respo- repositories of information in pre-literate societies. Right. But I think generally you don't need many of those people. So, I mean, once your children are raised, you're really worthless in a evolutionary stance. Right. And you need to be discarded along with the rest of your soma uh, because it served its purpose for right. procreation and successful rearing. And I think just that that is just a fact of the universe, and it's terrible. And when you find yourself 80 years old and uh, you haven't built up a bunch of money, which most people don't, right? that you're basically thrown to the wolves – and before you would just be homeless and die on the streets. And now you end up, you know, living on the pittance that right. You're like provides. living in a van down by the river and collecting your social security check from a post office box and, you know, relying on what meager uh outlets of, of, well, of and, and getting charity kicked, there getting are. kicked out of your apartment you've lived in for forty mm. years and moving into a nursing yeah, home. That's a favorite. Yeah. I mean I'm not sure it's a ter- it's a terrible fact of life, uh, and uh, I don't think society has ever really confronted really bearing the cost, and the cost would be enormous to really do it right. I don't know. I don't know. Is there any solution. society that does it right? I don't. Th- I can't imagine there's a society. I'm there's sure maybe some of, that do some it of wrong. the maybe some of the socialist European societies. Yeah, right. They might. Uh, I mean, ours doesn't do it as bad as it could be done. True. But it's a terrible thing. It's just one of the various things that get me down about life. So and here, I like how this movie explores it. Here, that's what you get to look forward to, kids, in about 40 to 60 years if you're listening in our target demographic. Uh, just, oh, maybe 25 years for Mark and me. Maybe it's a little bit more. Uh, certainly, yeah. 25 years puts us about it. Like, yeah. At uh, 65, 70. But um, I think when, that's one thing I like about this movie because it takes these despondent people and then it gives them a purpose to live again. And I think it's just such an uplifting story. So to me. Uh, let's talk about Elvis. Let's talk about Elvis. So, um, you know, uh, there's Elvis fans and then there's Elvis fans. And uh, <clears throat> are you an Elvis fan? You know, I, I am the uh, I would say a pedestrian admirer of Elvis, the institution, maybe not necessarily the Elvis, the singer. Uh, but the the myth of Elvis, I, I guess I'm a little infatuated with. Have you seen an Elvis movie? I have never seen one Elvis movie. Uh, <laughs> I've seen. I think two to three. I can't remember the third. But uh, my favorite of my two to three Elvis movies is Blue Hawaii because, uh, for starters, it was it was uh, part of it was filmed on Kauai. And uh, when we were staying on Kauai, there's a uh, I think it was featured in a South Park episode. There's this uh, post-apocalyptic resort on the eastern shore of Kauai called Coco Palms. And you drive by it because it's right by the road, and it's all behind chain link, and it's all overgrown. And you're just like, you know, because I'm into post-apocalyptic anything. That's sort of my infatuation. And I was like, what the fuck is this place? So I pulled over the rental car, kind of drove around it, and behind the resort is a uh, lagoon, that's all overgrown. And then there's sort of a grove of coconut palms behind it, as the name would tell you. And so it's all done up in like 50s, 60s, like facade decor, like the tiki 
type of stuff. I was like, what the fuck is this place? And it was a resort that got destroyed in the early 90s by, I want to say Hurricane Aniki. I can't remember exactly the hurricane name. But that was the ending scene of Elvis Blue Hawaii. So there's this wedding scene with him on a boat in that lagoon. And, you know, it's just it's just like how you would picture the 50s, 60s Hawaii. You know, when people were, when the 707 was invented, people were starting to fly out there for vacations and that whole Polynesian vibe and Tiki Lounge vibe and everything. And I, I did a lot of research and then I figured out that was where it was filmed. So I watched Blue Hawaii and then uh, I've seen uh, Viva Las Vegas. And there's this undercurrent, undercurrent theme in all Elvis movies that he has to do it himself. Like he's a kid of privilege. Like in all these, these, uh, they're all like, they're all like romance novels. Every Elvis movie is just like, I don't know, maybe Jailhouse Rock isn't, but uh, they're all written like to the same formula that he's a kid of privilege and he embarks on some endeavor, but he must do it himself. And so there's always a line in, in the Elvis uh, stories like, I got to do it myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're waiting for it. And it's like, you could almost do a, a kind of a weird drinking game with it. So, so you, I guess you see that mirrored. In this movie, I mean, Coscarelli and uh, Lansdale must have been familiar with these films. You would because, have to. Because this gets, you see this reflected here when he talks about his, Elvis talks about his previous life in this movie about, you know, I always played the hero, but really when I went off of stage, it was just drinking and goofing off and the coveting of women. But now it's time for me to really be the hero. Right? Yeah, as opposed TCB. to, uh, as opposed to, well, you know, Elvis was a, uh, I think he had like a black belt in fuck karate, something like that. Mm. So, and it was kind of like, I, I would say it's the, the transition point between uh, young Elvis and fat Elvis. So there's these pictures of Elvis, like in his, uh, you know, his, his martial art outfit. And he has like the lamb chops going mm-hmm. pretty funny shit anyway. And, and it was like after he left, it's after he left Scylla. I think was when like the transition took place. Mm. So there was Elvis, you know, uh, pre Scylla. Then there was uh, the Scylla years, and then there was the post Scylla years. You know, and that's kind of where he. Uh, I think he started doing like the big jumpsuits and everything, mm. and, and all he that. He took kind of a stuff. downward spiral. Well, he got into the uh, what was it, the barbiturate upper uh, cycle, where he would do. Uh, you know, he couldn't get to sleep at night, so mm. he'd take downers and get up in the morning. He'd take uppers and then. Uh, you know, it's like an old school drug abuse formula for people back in the 60s and 70s. No, I mean, I doubt it's, I'm sure it's still a, a routine for some Yeah, people. well, it seems like now it's like Ambien and... Lunexa. And Lunexa. Uh, something Luz, or other. Yeah, the, the other whatever. And then uh, for uppers, I don't know what the fuck people take. Adderall, I guess. Yeah, I guess you could take Adderall. So uh, anyway, um, that was kind of, that was like sort of the transition. But I read something interesting about how he actually died. Yeah. And uh, his doctor had some column where he said he actually died of constipation. Oh, because of his use of barbiturates. I would assume that was the case. Hmm. Uh, plus, he didn't have the healthiest diet, as I, as I uh, had read. Oh, okay. Like, he ate, um, what was one of his favorite, butter pie. Mm. And just fucking, like, sugar and butter and just cook that shit up in a pie or something like that. I wonder exactly what butter pie would I don't be. Know, I mean, it could just be a There's the Elvis custard. cookbook, which has like, uh, you know, the peanut butter and bacon sandwiches. And uh, I think he did enjoy banana. He did enjoyed pies. 
uh-huh. uh, and and derivatives of the pie, like, like coconut cream pie. He was not the most healthiest of eaters. You know? Yeah, well, so. that's understandable. I mean, back in those days, uh, I don't think people really gave it much thought. So couple that with like barbiturates, and you're going to be left with an eight or nine foot colon, five to six inches in diameter when you die. Oh, really? Is that was that the that was the that alleged was the, uh, size? Uh, but then I had to read bad. what a normal human colon size wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, is measurement wise and it's like three to four inches in diameter and three to four feet in length which seems kind of big well it's sort of folded up into like a triangle right yeah I mean usually it's not full of shit right (laughs) so like there's those scenes where like Elvis is in his jumpsuit and he kind of has his hips cannon back and you see kind of his I guess people would call it his gut but Mm -hmm. it's actually like him just dealing with the uh, complications of runaway constipation, apparently. Well, I'm sure he was overweight too, but yeah, it, it's it's sort of it's sort of too bad. I mean, it's sad, but it is sad. Things there rarely I mean, end on an up. Just note. yeah, poor Elvis. And so uh, Rose and I, uh, we like going to Palm Springs, and Palm Springs is sort of a uh, what's the right word? Mid-century modern mecca. And uh, there's lots of houses built during that sort of period of American architecture. And uh, gay men love Palm Springs. They call it the gay 90s down there because you're either gay or you're 90 years old. And so as a result, it's a town full of small dogs uh, and lots of small dog boutique stores. An excellent customer service. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So oh, customer just... service. Well, because it's 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 uh, to stereotype. It's all these uh, gay men doting on old people. So you know, it's like the parents they never had, and all this. Uh, you know. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. A lot of father figures <laughs> and lost children <laughs> running around. So uh, we toured the Elvis Presley honeymoon hideaway, which is one of these kind of mid-century modern homes. He had it hills. built. Uh, no, he he leased it for like a couple of years. Okay. So it has some notoriety. Like the people that actually built it died tragically in like an airplane crash and they orphaned their two children. It was sort of sad. Uh, hmm. But anyway, so we we toured the uh, Elvis honeymoon hideaway. And the docent was this woman who was like an insanely ravenous Elvis fan. Had seen him three times in concert. Mm-hmm. I don't know any human being I've ever met who's actually seen Elvis in concert, but she was like super into Elvis and they had the whole place decked out as if like Elvis, you know, the, the Elvis era mm-hmm. and uh, it was Christmas time. So they had like the aluminum Christmas trees up and going and it was a beautiful home. Uh, the tour, unfortunately, had a little bit too much Elvis for Rose and I's like liking and like less about the house. Uh, but the part that I, I couldn't get out of my head was uh, seeing the various bathrooms in the honeymoon hideaway and how many like hours of of, of struggle <laughs> poor Elvis had on the toilets. <laughs> Oh. I was like, there must have been some dark, dark nights oh, this was on these later. Dark... Why was it called the honeymoon hideaway? Because that's after he, after he married Priscilla, uh, they stayed there for a period of time. Oh, but he may have not been having these issues at that time. I don't know. Still though, I, I was thinking maybe this is where it started. I wasn't sure, but mm. uh, I saw the toilet and I thought of poor Elvis and the fact that he died on the toilet and. I mean, sort of undignified to begin with. So it makes him almost a tragic character, which lends itself to a film like Bubba Hotep, I think. I think the, I think this, you know, it takes a, a couple of characters that are tragic. 
gives, gives them a second a second go at being a hero. I mean, this is one reason I like the movie so much, which I've already talked about. I mean, I love the JFK. Well, oh. see, JFK, I thought, I mean, it's it's he kind of got a little short shrift. He's definitely not the main character like Elvis. So he, no. got, he got a little bit of... Uh, and I like how his room is all like the blue carpeted. Well, like, if you, White if you House. go to uh, nursing homes, you'll find that some people who have a little money will still live in a nursing home, but they'll have like a nicely appointed room. Like either they have oh, a little okay. money or the family really cares about them. Okay. And they do it up and it's real nice. And other people live in like, you know, shitty places. Like uh, the, El- the Elvis. Just room. like the white, you know. The, the yeah, just like Elvis's, it's two people in a room, and it's just whatever a twin bed the size of yeah, like, a little twin uh, bed and a bedpan and a nasty ratty side table and you know like the white right. sheets, right? And those those terrible I don't know what it is about hospital these blankets, the top blankets, they're not like nice thick comforters. Yeah, these, I know what they're like these, yeah. these terrible fucking threadbare things with little like designs on them. They kind of get in like cheap hotel rooms. Yeah, I think it's just because they go to consolidated laundry and they can be sterilized and washed easily. While yeah. a comforter can't right. be washed without being dry cleaned. So uh, uh, JFK, obviously. So I always wonder like, okay, so we're meant to buy the Elvis fact. The I movie. mean, the movie presents the Elvis is, I mean, the thing is that Sebastian or Elvis is our storyteller. Yeah. So it's told from his point of view, and his point of view is that he's Elvis. So I don't see how you could really judge the um, would be the right the veracity. Is that the right the word? The authenticity of his because you're being told by him that he's Elvis. So we can't we can't really judge whether or not he's Elvis or if he's just confused. Uh, but you know what difference does it make? Might as well buy that he's. Elvis. It doesn't make any difference for this movie. Now I, I watch it as if he is Elvis. Yeah, the JFK character is told from um, Elvis's standpoint, and I don't think we're meant to believe that he's really JFK. That's been had his hand, his head filled with sand, and his yeah. brain's still alive in the White House. Right, and he's controlling his body by radio communications. Yeah, he doesn't and offer, but he was dyed black. Yeah, right. I don't think and, we're and meant it had to an believe afro. That. Yeah, it doesn't really. Uh, well, there's various diluted characters that are that are also in the film, like the uh, Lone Ranger. I forget what that guy's name was. The guy that oh uh, Tonto, Tonto. Yeah, who's obviously. Uh, I thought Tonto was his Native American sidekick. It was. Oh, he's like. Well, he wasn't the Lone Ranger. Yeah, he had like another name. Kimosabi. Kimosabi. Oh, that's right, because that's what Tonto called the Lone Ranger. Right, he's like right. friend and some. Long lost uh, made up tongue. Cherokee tongue or something. Yeah, it probably some bastardized. Uh, so uh, tongue. who's obviously a dementia patient that, uh, you know, uh, if they were really only so cute. Oh, right. No, I, I know. It's, it's uh, yeah, it doesn't go that way. But he goes down gunning too, which is so awesome. With his little cap I mean, gun. You know, the neat thing about the scene uh, when we really, I think it's the first time. Well, it's the second time we see Bubba Hotep. The first time we see it is in the, the room of the old kleptomaniac. Mm-hmm. The second time we see it is Bubba Hope walking down the hall, and basically he's being chased by the senile guy who thinks he's the Lone Ranger. It really goes to show we haven't really talked about Bubba himself, how weak Bubba Hotep really is. That he can be basically he comes in. Bubba Hotep comes in to suck the life out of the of the Kimosabi character through his asshole, <laughs> but the Kimosabi character gets up with a couple of cap guns yeah. and scares Bubba Hotep off. Enough. It just shows you how incredibly weak he really is because he's running away from it. So the gist is, uh, there's like a, a a traveling, like it was like a like a a pseudo Tutankhamen. 
Exhibit. Yeah, there was back in the what, the 20s or something or 30s. Or maybe it was the 40s. There well, was a Tutankhamun's tomb was discovered in the 20s. Yeah, but it was some sort of second-rate touring oh uh, uh, of a different Egyptian exhibit. And you could imagine there's probably a big market for it. I mean, that yeah. Tutankhamun thing was a huge hit. Oh, still, so I'm sure there's probably some second-rate ones, and this was one of those. Okay, and somebody had actually stolen one of the exhibits, one of the mummies. So you're, you're, this and is it, this is true. You're no, saying, this is the oh, story. Okay, line. okay, all right. And then, then the stolen the truck that had the stolen goods in it crashed. Right, it was never river. found in a river that just right. happens to be next to this old folks' home. Right, I mean, that's the storyline. So the uh, the mummy then uh, consumes the souls of the elderly because, and I forget exactly. There was some they're easy pickings, easy pickings, and yeah, uh, he's weak and, and they're easy. I mean, that's the great thing. I mean, both Ozzy, I mean Jack and, and Elvis come to this realization it's really jack who puts it all together with right. he does some research he goes to the libraries because if you're jfk you're definitely conspiracy conspiracy mind oriented <laughs> i love how he says uh when he gets back from the library actually after doing some research that's where he finds out the the uh the theory behind he that's where he finds out that about the stolen mummy and how it went missing in the area oh right and then uh uh elvis has like uh some sort of mental communion where he sees some images and they put two and two together to figure out who right. his mummy is. He goes, the the woman who says she's my daughter took me to the library <laughs> the other day. That's I always love that line. And um, yeah, I mean, they, they put they piece it all together. It's such a great little detective thing. I mean, it's a real fast movie. I mean, there's the no, it's setup, only like 90 minutes, the middle where they figure out what's, and then they decide what Climax. they're going to do. About, and then, and then the action scene at the end, there's no fucking back and forth. It's yeah. Bam, bam, bam. And the movie's over with. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that's, they they basically put it together and they explain to the audience exactly what's going on. What I like about uh, Bubba Hotep is uh, the use of uh, Mummy as a uh, undead bad guy, which we don't get served up very often. I was trying to think of like there's the Mummy and the Mummy Returns, right? And that was based after the original film, The Mummy. But mummies always kind of seem like this. Uh, you know, uh, third branch of the undead. Like, mm. we, you know, we get, like, the vampires, typically. And yeah. Those have been done to death, and there's been a million vampire movies. Mm-hmm. Now we're dealing kind of with the zombies and sort of the uh, relentless... The zombie's a big thing, right? Zombie uh, populism and, and uh, how that couples in with, like, apocalyptic fiction. It's weird how that... that- type of ghoul is so popular right now there's also but, the whole frankenstein monster type ghoul well that's I, i'm thinking kind of more classic undead. i mean that's classic i mean we're talking about classic cinema well it's classic monsters but then the classic undead which i like to like kind well, of narrow I mean, down you don't consider frankenstein's monster to be a undead variant not in the classic sense of the word not in the dungeons and dragons sense of the word i mean you i mean i, I guess just because it has the right. the, 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 split the light veneer of scientific no, no, no. I mean, it's to, still, to, there's some amazing thing that happens that reanimates a corpse. Something that, well, okay. All right. I'm, I, anyway, the, the mummy as as an undead monster in cinema is uh, has very limited exposure, it seems. There's like the mummy movies. There was mm-hmm. like the, the new mummies, which, uh, who was in that? Like an Encino man. That's like his okay, name. played Encino God, man. Brendan Fraser. He's not a bad actor. He no, was he's good. fine. He was good in The Quiet American. He was good in uh, that and Gods and Monsters, if you ever saw Didn't that. Didn't see it. That's a good yeah. movie, too. So, uh, but The Mummy, 
which is a, is a great kind of undead creature that doesn't get a lot of airplay. Well, I think it's sort of burnt itself out. I mean, it's sort of a one-note thing. I mean, it's just an Egyptian thing. I mean, obviously, the idea of preserving corpses through desiccation is was used all over the place. But I think there was something about the great Egyptian finds of the, of the turn of the 20th century. I think just really ignited everybody's imagination there for a good solid 40 or 50 years. And that's just sort of played out. I guess... They mummified so many people back in the dynasties of ancient Egypt that uh, they, when the locomotives were introduced to uh, Egypt, they would they would burn them as fuel. (laughs) That's what I I remember hearing somewhere Uh, unsubstantiated. May have have happened somewhere. I got to get on Snopes, but I'm just throwing it out there that I, I saw some documentary where they were tossing uh, because they're they're beautifully desiccated. Uh, uh, bits of carbon bits of carbon that yeah. you know in a treeless uh, landscape would be optimal for throwing into a uh, uh, locomotive they're very flammable as we see in this film <laughs> right. yeah, exactly so yeah. uh, but anyway I was I, I kind of miss the mummy I wish the mummy would have more airplay I, I think Egyptology I, I think people can't get enough of it so uh, well, Matt I think I think we're coming on the idea of like what's next I mean, we've gone, we've done vampires. Mummies, fucking mummies. It's still man. hot. We've done zombies. I think another one of these ghoul type characters is coming. Maybe it's the mummy. The maybe, mummy? Maybe the mummy young adult fiction needs to be thought about. An army of mummies. All right, it could be action movie stuff too. I mean, I think you might want to cast your net a little wider. I mean, there's other ghouls in the D&D universe. As you said, that maybe mummies useful. just seem—I uh, don't know—they don't seem to be it's just untapped. I think I, I like mummy. I like Egyptology. Maybe that's my thing. Yeah, maybe maybe it it can be hot again. Maybe it yeah. might be. Yeah, but somehow I doubt it. I think the mystery's sort of blown off. I mean, I think Egypt article art archaeology has been played. Rose has actually been to uh, Luxor and the Valley of the Kings and seen all the tombs and all that. And you get to see, like, if you just like, because everybody's so corrupt over there, just give, like, people a little bit of money and they'll take you right right to where all the cool shit is. You know, you have oh, to, really? Yeah, like, you can just hop over the little barricades and go lay in the tombs and they'll take pictures of you and shit. You know, oh, really? You're supposed to. Well, that's not that bad. But, yeah, she's, she, and she went into one of the pyramids. and Then you scroll your name on the side? Then, you, yeah, and take a piss in the corner and <laughs> you're good to go. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked the uh, hieroglyphic uh, uh, shit can graffiti that they put up there. <laughs> I just love that scene when put in there. they're hanging out in the shit house. <laughs> That's just a funny scene when he goes and shows them that. And, it, and it's nice that the graffiti looks like high school era scrawlings into the uh, bathroom stalls. I like that. <laughs> something about Cleopatra being a whore or something like that. I mean, the movie's scatological, but I guess in the sense that sort of comes with being an old person yeah it certainly does well that's what gives him a boner is anything that decouples him from was it eating and shitting and sleeping or something like mm-hmm. that actually where's like his next meal coming from yeah something that like gets his mind mm-hmm. not just necessarily like having that chick like bend over in front of him but it didn't uh, hurt yeah that probably didn't hurt that probably was a nice uh yeah a catalyst for the whole thing but yeah i mean it's a, it's a fun movie and that's just a it's just a monster movie it is. With these two just really But it would be characters. a stupid monster movie if they weren't Elvis and JFK. Ooh, if they weren't Elvis, if they were just some guy 
and some other. Well, guy. Elvis. I mean, Bruce Campbell as Elvis is is sort of a cinematic gem, right? I mean, it's because Bruce Campbell has just an air about him that lends to B movie awesomeness. Mm-hmm. That I think having him play Elvis is uh, it's the cell. It's it's the high concept cell. I think that's a real get for this movie. Yeah, I mean, that's what drew me to the movie. It was like, wait a minute, so Elvis is going to fight a mummy. That's probably why we went and saw it in 2002. Yeah. Because it was Bruce Campbell. It was the high concept end of it. I guess it didn't do very well. I'm surprised. I think we saw it in Everett. No, we saw it down at the varsity. Oh, did we? That makes more sense because it didn't get a wide release. Well, Bruce Campbell's like a cult actor. Yeah. He's not necessarily even an actor who's in cult films. He's like a cult actor. He has like sort of a... uh, Je ne sais quoi with regarding to his efforts. Like if he's in a movie, there's going to be a certain amount of people like you and me are going to go see it just because it's Bruce Campbell. I think you're right. I think it was a big get for this film. You know, it actually brings me to another thing. I don't know if you watched. I don't think when we saw it in the theater, we watched the movie to its the end of the credits or if you watched past the credits or if you watched the end of the credits on the copy that you viewed. It actually says at the end, you know, uh, it talks about the sequel. What? Called... uh, (laughs) Bubba Nosferatu and the Curse of the She-Vampires. Oh, my God. Along those Sounds lines. awesome. And um, the funny thing is, I was like, I went and did a little research online. This is very, anybody could do it. But it has a listing. This movie, the sequel, has a listing in IMDb. And it's something that's been floating around for a while. And so actually, is it like in development hell? Well, it might be. The thing is, Coscarelli was considering making it sometime in the early, you know, <coughs> 2010, 2011. And uh, uh, the thing is that um, um, <clears throat> Bruce Campbell dropped out. Oh, well. Then and then there's, a, there's people saying that Bruce Campbell dropped out. But the interesting thing is that Coscarelli did a, another movie called John Dies at the End. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's pretty well you, you're received. You're talking it up. You said it's pretty starring decent. Starring John, um, I mean, starring uh, Paul Giamatti. Oh, And yeah. um, there's actually an interview from Collider. It's a website. I'm not familiar with it. Me neither. With Paul Giamatti back in 2012. And they actually talked to him briefly about the sequel. And uh, here the question is, what's going on with uh, the Bubba Hotep sequel, Bubba Nosferatu? Here's Paul Giamatti uh, talking. When I first met Don Cuscarelli, okay. it, was, uh, it was just through funny circumstances. We got together and he told me he had an idea for a sequel that uh, to that, uh, the sequel to Bubba Hotep. And I read the script, which was great. I don't know how much I would I don't know how much I would want to give away about it though. The part I would would play would be uh Colonel Parker, which I guess was a uh, Is that a character in Nosferatu? No, it was a uh, uh, I think it was uh, Elvis's manager in reality for a Oh, while. the major. And he yeah. says uh he talks yeah, it was uh who was Elvis's manager and it was always a sinister relationship between the two of them with how he had so much control over him being Elvis. The movie answers that question. It's a vampire movie and that's part of how he has a hold over him. Oh, that's I get interesting. It. interesting. It's a fantastic script exclamation point by Paul Giamatti. By, the way Bubba Hotep was about getting old. This one is about being middle aged in a great way. I hope that maybe we can still get it done because it is a really great script. It'd be like the inverse of the Gilliam trilogy, you know, where he talks about like fan time. Yeah. It keeps going back in time. So it's like, you know, the, uh, I don't know the, the squandering of youth and the third installment of, uh, 
the Bubba Hotep. Well, I, I think it's probably my guess is Coscarelli's working on it, waiting for funding. He's not a but a Bruce Campbell's not on. Board. Bruce Campbell. He's there's another old, interview that I don't have here where he said they had differences in the script oh. and they decided to part ways. So they could, they continue to be friends. Yeah. So the flashbacks might not have been as good. I, I don't know if it really work. Um, Who would you find as a good Elvis actor? Because uh, I'm thinking of the actors that played Elvis in, in little bits and, and, and pieces like uh, uh, Val Kilmer in True Romance. Remember, he had little, mm. little Elvis blips. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it'd probably really help. It'd have to be some inspired casting. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it either. It sounds like a good movie, though. But, it's, I mean, the way Giamatti is talking about the script. Oh. Because it's supposed to take place in the sort of the heyday of Elvis's career in the past. Right. And he runs on a coven of vampires. Really oh, interesting. That's awesome. So maybe yeah. something we'll see in 10 years or so. I think we just, more Elvis-themed movies. Because uh, really, I should watch more, but uh, Blue Hawaii is definitely worth checking out. If you yeah. want to watch a quintessential Elvis movie. Maybe I should. I've just never been terribly fascinated. And, by and it's kind of awesome how they depicted uh, being a beefcake back in the uh, 60s. Oh, it just meant not being fat. Just basically, like he's still doughy. I mean, he's really doughy, uh-huh. and he and his like surf, you know, his surf waders, like go up like either above or near his belly button. I don't think you're supposed to show belly buttons then. Anyway, it looks fucking ridiculous. I mean, you know, I, dudes like uh, Sean Connery in those old uh, 007 movies. You know, when he's like coming out of the ocean, and it's weird what what the ideal of a man looked like back then. And Is this now, what you think a man looks like? What's that? Is this what you think a man looks like? Ooh, Mark. Yeah, we're actually doing the podcast naked. So since we're here, uh, no, was, that was a call back to Fight Club. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Brad Pitt of all people makes that comment about some incredibly buff, shaved, torsoed man on a bus. Oh, even though B- Brad Pitt looks like a shaved yeah, even though, well, even though Brad Pitt looks just like just that. fucking like that. I know. Well, I mean, the actors nowadays who look like that, it's some weird combination of like personal trainer. Uh, some kind of anabolic steroid that isn't necessarily illegal and dehydration. I, I don't see how the dudes like look like they do now. Look like that, like you know, Iggy Pop in his heyday kind of, you know, uh, sinuous heroin look. All you need is you get a partner movie, you get paid five million. We'll give you a personal trainer. We'll give you a personal physician. We'll give you a nutritionist. You got nine months to get ripped. No but, questions I mean, asked. But you the, would get ripped. Human beings do not look like that. No, it takes an incredible. I mean, it takes a bunch. Of, it takes a, a physician. It takes a trainer. It takes a nutritionist. It takes it's like science. science fiction. No, it just takes straight up well, science. But but human beings never look like they don't the, normally look like that ever in history. Unless unless you have a particular, you just happen to have a particular diet, and you happen to have a propensity to put on muscle, and you have a job that works out your whole body. Like a longshoreman or something, or Conan the Barbarian on the Wheel of Pain or something. Well, I mean, or like, or like a, I mean, boot, people get pretty ripped in boot camps. They don't keep like it up. That afterwards. though, I mean, like just that. I mean, if you're burning four thousand calories a day and you're doing nothing but working out all the time, you'll get ripped and your body fat percentage will go down. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean, know. Look, it's it's a weird guy, anomaly. The fucking guy from uh, Parks and Recreation got totally ripped. Who's that guy? Uh, he was in, um, I forget the actor's name, but he was in, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. He was like a doughy white guy from the Well, TV like show. Adrian Brody, like scrawny little Adrian Brody, mm-hmm. like for predator, Predators, turned into just this, just fucking 
torn up action figure of a guy. You just need a few months and then eat nothing man. but protein and work out all day long. That's fucking crazy. It gives me anybody hope, can I guess. do it. Anybody can do it. It just takes an incredible yeah. amount of work. All right. Mark and I are up for the challence. Uh we're gonna do a Kickstarter. Well you campaign. gotta like stop eating carbs and oh, work I out can't all do that. the time. I can't do that. Work out for a couple hours every day. Carbs. Do you wanna do that? No. Well, I don't you have the time. Go, you're not gonna get ripped like Adrian Brody from Predators. I don't have the time or the incentive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I look, if somebody's gonna give me a three million dollar payday to get ripped, Fuck I can yeah. get ripped. Fuck, I'd well, I'd, I'd starve myself for like a couple months just to do that. So. But if all, all of, if all I'm going to get is some strange on the side for being ripped, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. I'm never going to do it. The satisfaction of accomplishment—that's all you'd be getting. Yeah, I'd have to do it just for myself, and I'm sort of getting there a little bit. Okay, just not being an incredibly fat fuck. Oh, that's yeah. yeah well, yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Anywho, but on that uplifting note, yeah, why, why don't we see what Ebert has to say about the film? Ebert reviewed this movie on October 17th of 2003, giving it a pretty positive three-star review. And I think he hit a lot of the points I like, too. So just let me read a couple of quotes from here. Um, <clears throat> he says the, the movie uh, has a delightful wackiness, which is endearing and vulgar in about the right proportion. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he says the movie doesn't exactly work, but sometimes when a car won't start, it's still fun to look at the the honey, the little honey gleaming in the driveway. That's kind of a weird, yeah, it's a sort of a weird youth or weird uh, metaphor. But he does mention that because he, he returns to it later. Um, in most of his reviews, he does talk a lot about the nuts and bolts of the movie, and I'll skip over that. But he does talk about uh, something here that um, I liked, and I think maybe I talked about it. Talking about Elvis's backstory, which we get to, in some detail through flashbacks in the movie, that the king explains all of it. All of it in a thoughtful um, and introspective voiceover narration. Uh, this narr- narration is not broad comedy, but wicked, wicked, observant, and truthful. Uh, Bubba Hotep has a lot of affection for Elvis, takes him seriously, and this is crucial: isn't a camp horror movie, uh, is, and isn't a camp horror movie, and but treats the loony situation as if it's really happening. Well, I think the most important thing is that, yeah, you get the impression that both Bruce Campbell and the director, uh, what's that, how do you pronounce his last name? Coscarelli? Is that how you Coscarelli? Uh, yeah. Uh, Coscarelli. Anyway, um, aren't making fun of Elvis at all. No, no, they, they really love Which is, an, it, it's, 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 it would seem obvious that, oh, uh, a mummy movie with a with a, an Elvis that's not dead. You know that's the big myth that Elvis never died, et cetera, and so on. You're obviously making fun of at at at, at the Elvis legacy, or at least at Elvis's expense. But then you watch this, and you're like, you know, Elvis is treated with as much dignity as a movie like this can muster. Yeah, and I think that's one reason I really like it. If it didn't, I don't think I'd enjoy this. Movie. If it was It'd just, just be some stupid horror movie. If it was just poking fun at Elvis and like you know making fun of him for. Everything that ma- every everything that people made fun of him for in little cliches and one-liners, then it would be a stupid movie. It wouldn't be, but this is generally endearing of the the Elvis character, which I think is uh, separates it from makes it is the most important difference between it and and just a uh, high concept gimmicky film. I think it does, man. This movie could have turned out so bad. 
yeah, it could have had, like I said, you know, it could have been like inundated with constipation jokes and fart jokes and, you know, uh, uh, I mean, there's a million little tads and tidbits to make fun of Elvis about. And this movie wisely chooses none of them to focus on for the Elvis character. I mean, yeah. And, and Ebert says that as, again, he says, Bubba Hotep wants to be a good movie about Elvis JFK and a soul sucker. It doesn't sneer. It's not about cheap shots. It's perfectly sincere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. He says he, you never catch Campbell or Ozzy Davis winking at the audience or patronizing the material They They approach their characters with all the curiosity and respect they deserve in a serious film. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're honest characters. Uh, wrapping things up, he says, I said this movie doesn't work, and so it doesn't. How could it work? It doesn't work as a horror movie because Bubba Hotep, the Bubba Hotep monster would make Ed Wood's monsters look slick by comparison. I don't think that's, nah, that's not I true. That's pretty stupid. No. I, I thought I thought that was fine. It was it was good enough. Yeah. yeah. They had a tight budget. I thought it was I thought, yeah, I thought was the Bubba fine. Hotep was worked worked well. It was, fine. It was really stiff. Yeah. Woody would run through a bunch of CG shit. Well, or make it, I try to make it actually scary. I mean, you know, I mean, it was scary. I, I like the monster. He seemed so wooden. Plus, he had the cowboy hat and the yeah, boots no, on. Yeah, was pretty awesome. I thought it was fine. He says it doesn't work as a cult movie because it challenges the cleverness of the audience instead of congratulating. Well, I guess that throws this out of the uh, cult film club. I, I, don't I don't know. I don't know if I really agree. Well, it's set up to be. I mean, there's stupid cult movies. No stupid cult movies that end up being cult movies that were originally stupid movies. But yeah, I mean, I would say that it was engineered for kind of cultish status, but it doesn't, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's maybe to its credit, not its detriment. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I just don't understand its comment. It doesn't, because it challenges the cleverness of the audience instead of congratulating it. What's so clever? I, I don't, I mean, it's, I mean, this it's movie just, is about. Two old people. I mean, it's not just about a stupid Elvis and JFK versus a mummy. That's it's just, it's, I mean, it's high concept, sure. Sure, but, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. Which we've, which he's talking it's about. It's stitching together a watchable, enjoyable film from a, a loony high concept premise, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And, uh, but it does work sort of in one way. It has the damnedest, it has the damnedest ingratiating way of making us sit there and grin at its harebrained audacity laugh at its outhouse humor the humor is pretty outhousey yeah, yeah almost too much so at yeah. times uh and be somewhat moved not deeply but somewhat i don't know about that at the poignancy of these two old men and their situation uh okay no i think that's i think that's yeah, a fair review so uh i don't know Do we have anything else to uh ponder about Bubba Hotep uh no I wonder if I, I really gotta go see uh what's the name of that John movie? Dies at the End yeah I think that might be a pretty good film I heard good things about it I've never seen any of Coscarelli's other work well Phantasm, Phantasm I, we should maybe do Phantasm because Phantasm I haven't seen the other three I've seen the first one there's four of them yeah the fan, first Phantasm is um I still remember it I think I've only seen it once mm-hmm. but it's a very interesting horror film and it's uh, it. Oh, what's the right word? It it has an interesting feel for fantasy, on top of the horror, and uh, it's an interesting blend. And a lot of times, uh, it's not really done well in in horror film. The the fantasy element, hmm. because uh, to me, like I mean, they're one and the same. Horror and fantasy are kind of uh, two sides of the same coin. But uh, in Phantasm, there's 
an interesting nightmarishness to the scenarios, and I remember so little about it. But mm. there's like a parallel world and a whole backstory to this parallel world, and it's creepy as fuck. And anyway, it's very interesting. So maybe we should do it sometime. Yeah, I think we might want to return to Coscarelli in so, the future. Uh, Mark and I were talking about uh, actors undergoing, like I guess, uh, what would you call them, a regimented uh, transformations, transformations for film. Usually, it's the beefcake end. Sometimes it's packing on. 80 pounds. Leto did it for some movie. I was oh, reading He gained about. a bunch of weight. He gained like 70 pounds oh. for a movie back in. Oh, it was about the guy. He played the guy who killed John Lennon. Oh, really? There was a whole movie about it, but I guess the movie got panned a little bit. It co starred Lindsay it. Lohan. Oh, fuck. But I guess his performance was pretty good in it. So, uh, yeah, packing on pounds. And actually, the actor in, in our upcoming film packed on pounds recently for a movie I didn't really care for that everybody seemed to love, which was. Uh, what was it? American like a, Hustle? Yeah, American Hustle. Oh, that's right. Hustle. He did put on a bunch of weight for that. I didn't like that movie. I don't know. I just went on too long. I was like, why is this movie going so long? And uh, I, I just, it, it kind of left me. The characters weren't as interesting as I needed them to be. But anyway, Christian Bale, uh, yeah, he gained a bunch of weight for that. But in the movie we're reviewing next week, which is The Machinist, he, um, I had heard through a, what was it? <clears throat> a scripting typo that he lost an unnecessary amount of weight for the film. The uh, character needed to be gaunt, but he they didn't estimate like his height right or something in the script, mm. and they quoted a weight that he needed to be at. What am I supposed to be? What weight am I supposed to be at to hit this character? Which, if you're Tom Cruise, it's one thing, but if you're taller... Uh, getting down to whatever he got down to in this film, like 120 some odd pounds is, is um, basically uh, a threat to your health. Mm -hmm. And so he got down to, you know, fucking disgusting levels of, 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 he was really gaunt. I saw, I saw some shots of this. It's kind of hard to watch. It's sort of hard to watch, but it's an interesting movie. And, I think what I found most interesting about The Machinist is the uh, atmosphere it creates through its uh, kind of the cinematography, and the fact that it was a <clears throat> film that was supposed to take place in America filmed in Europe, which has an interesting uh, hmm. sort of, I don't know. It's it's just an interesting feel to the film. They just filmed it there for economic reasons. They filmed oh, it in Spain, it. I think. Spain, Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. And Christian Bale made the comment. It's like, oh, well, it's easy to film <clears throat> America in Europe, you just find the shadiest parts of Europe and then double it as America. So, anyway. uh, well, it's probably easy to find a pretty shitty parts of Spain, I'm guessing. Barcelona kind of seems a little bit, I don't know, a little bit Whoville. Uh, from pictures I've seen, I haven't ever been there. So it seems a little bit slapdash. I think it's got a little bit of a grease thing going on. There was that uh, Javier Bardem movie. What's it called? Fuck, like beautiful or... I don't know, but man, it was that movie did me in. Mm. It took place in Barcelona. He was like some cancer victim, and oh, it was just horrible. It just remind me not to watch it. Yeah, don't watch it. I, I'm glad I can't even remember the name for you to search <laughs> it. So, uh, all right. So uh, until next week. I think you better take a cold shower, Mister Hare. <laughs>